It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. No such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do? No, we don't. A donkey is eating. A donkey is a palace. There's nothing else to eat. He was massive. <laughs> Legs, ass, spit. But I burst out laughing. About <laughs> so you'll be happy this weekend anyways, Niall. It's a weekend for hurling people. Three matches on television. All three um, hurling matches. Now I might have a little bit of a problem with Horik Pierce's Mount Bellew, my lock be- not being on the telly, getting bumped out for Kilmallock and Middleton. Maybe, you know, equal equalise it up a little bit and keep football people a little bit happy. But that's the situation we're in. Very, very obvious what the game of the weekend is, whether you're looking at football or hurling and it's Bally Gunner versus Lockmore Castellani. This is in uh, Fraher Field at 3.15 wonder why it's there that's a boggy old pitch now I know Walsh Park is a little bit boggy at this time of the year as well but I'd imagine Bally Gunner with the game kind of that they play a running game short passing game you know that a boggy field might not suit them too much it probably won't um, suit them as much like as like we've seen them the last day and they were well they always play that kind of style of hurling the short passing they have a lot of quick players like so Desi Hutchinson and this kind of thing so um, I'd say like Lockmore won't be too displeased that it's in in Freher Field anyway. Like yeah, now you're giving Lockmore Castellani a good chance in this. You're obviously being very biased as a tip man, and you're using I'm sure the inspirational performance by Boris Ali was it two or three years ago now at this stage. Brennan Maher fairy tale stuff performance dragged Ballygunner down into a battle that they didn't want. And even though Ballygunner looked like the better team, they dragged them down into the battle. The parish got behind them and they got over the line and won the Munster title. And Paddy the Cock came out in the field <coughs> um, after the game. You think there's going to be a repeat of this? Well, speaking of boggy fields, it was, it was a very sort of a wet and boggy day that day. Where was that and match? It's, it definitely suited Bursley. Was it, it was down in Waterford as well. I'm right. nearly sure. But like, yeah, I, I suppose that is one, one of the reasons Ballygunner have... Like they've been, they've been outstanding this year, and like they've been, but you know they haven't really been fully tested as such. Like they kind of coasted through Waterford and bet Ballier, a depleted Ballier who were missing Tony Kelly, bet them fairly handy, and 
I suppose I'd I give Lockmore a chance against anyone, to be honest. Um, like, having watched him the last two years, whether it was a hurling or a football game, any game that they've played has been has been a tight game. And, like, that goes up to last weekend. They lost eventually an extra time, but it went all the way to extra time. And it seems that that's the way, like, most Lockmore games will go. Like, um, when they played Kildanian last year, like, they showed that day that that was a lovely day in Semple Stadium. They were well able to play on a good day as well. So, like, well, the boggy pitch mightn't suit Ballygunner. Like, it won't. It won't give Lockmore, you know, the the boost that it might seem. But um, no, like Lockmore, whoever they're playing, like the day against Turles, they kind of like that kind of became a dogfight for a finish in the last twenty minutes. Like Turles will be well able to play this kind of short game that maybe Ballygunner will be trying this weekend. Not to the extent of Ballygunner. Not to the extent of Ballygunner, but if, if that's what Ballygunner are looking for, like Lockmore are such a, you know, they're such a hard working team that they might be able to horse them out of it and not give them the time to play that type of a game. So yeah, I suppose sh- that's why I give them a chance. Like. I'm sure that that's what they'll be trying to do. That game was in Parky Rin, by the way. I was okay. wondering. It's not unusual to see the, those matches in Parky Rin. whole question with Lockmore, Castellani Lee, is they're on the road. This will be the 19th week in a row they lost last week. Again, it's this whole clash of styles. Lockmore, Castellani are a bit more direct. Ballygunner are a possession type uh, team. And it can be a little bit frustrating if you're putting it long. You don't win it. And now Ballygunner don't give you the ball, you know, to be the ball back. So you could get punished. I think that's why Ballygunner kind of dominate teams that might not play that same style as them. The whole thing, like, can Lockmore, Castellani keep this, keep this going? The re- For me, they're really, really up against that. Yeah, I know they definitely are. And even just in terms of the preparation of both teams, it couldn't be more different. Ballygunner had like an eight-week layoff before finally playing a match. Lockmore, Castellani, the complete opposite. 19 weeks now on the bounce, you know. Uh, between football and hurling, just constantly every weekend, they they have a championship game to be preparing for. So it's you know it's like momentum v uh, long term preparation in terms of that. Uh, it can be frustrating when you play the sort of long ball, it just lose it, and then you don't know when you're going to get it again, and then it sort of frustrates you, and you want to change your game plan and be a bit more patient with the ball. But if that's not what you set out to do, you know it, it can just upset the rhythm of things. Um, you gotta w- wonder when this momentum can, can eventually run out. I know they lost in the football last week. Uh, they took it to extra time. They did brilliantly there. I think they were still clapped off the field. You know, no lot more fans going to say that this was a bad season no matter what happened. But you have to be just wondering, if you keep tapping into your reserve like they keep doing, every last inch, every last ounce that they've got, they're just going to run out eventually. And then Ballygunner are such monsters of an opposition that it might be this weekend that they finally, finally run out. Yeah, the great thing about club teams is that um, and Lockmore is that they have their county players in brilliant positions. Like you could have three on a full back line county player. You know, they have the lovely spread, the two and a half back line. You have the two McGraths kind of up front and it's a nice spread of where they're, they're strongest, which will always give them a chance. Other big football game, this is Podrick Pierce's against Mount Bellew My Lock. This is the Connacht <coughs> semi-final. This is at half past one. This is clashing with Kilmallock and Middleton. So the Kilmallock Middleton is on TG Cahar. Like, I mean, Podrick Pierce's are at a very, very big disadvantage here. And it's not of their own making. So they won the county final. They're supposed to be out in the Connacht Club three weeks later. Mount Bellew My Lock won the Galway county final. Um, and then had to go out against Ballinamore the week after and and beat them. They were down at half time. Then Mount Bellew Mylock got a they were supposed to play the following week again, which will be a huge advantage to Padre Pierce's after their three week break. Mount Bellew Mylock three weeks on the trot, maybe four 
Mm. Um, and, you know, county final celebration that Mount Bellew, my lot got a COVID uh, outbreak. Now, the county council says it's an undisclosed level of infection within the Galway club's camp. That's what's being reported. So they're not even saying how many they got, how many they had. And they got this game has been postponed three weeks because of an undisclosed um, level of infection within the Mount Bellew My Lock. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't an infection. There probably was. It's definitely an advantage to Mount Bellew My Lock that they didn't they didn't have to play that following week because, you know, they would have been at a disadvantage with all the weeks in a row and the celebrations and stuff like that. Um, it's strange that they won't announce why. How severe is it? Why is this game called off? Like, Podrick Pierce's should be looking for answers for this as far as I'm concerned. So now instead of three-week break for <coughs> Podrick Pierce's, they're sitting on their arses for six weeks. Do you know what I mean? It, it's 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 a terrible disadvantage for the Connacht Council not to come out and say why have we, you know, why have we postponed this? Here's the thing: cast your mind back to three years ago, and four of your players got the flu. Niall, could you call a game off? Like no. this has to end. Calling games off and and being vague about it, Connacht Council not telling us why, how many sick, how many's out, what's the story? Why are Padraig Pierce's being dis, you know, disadvantaged like this? Like, I mean, I just, I don't get this. Well, I remember we were talking about this three weeks ago and we were saying, like, it was, do you know, if you had a player injured, if you had a player sick, you're going to miss, they're going to be missing for the game and you're just going to have to deal with it. And that's the way it should be. Like, we've been living with the virus now for, like, the last, it's nearly two years now, like, and you would wonder at this stage, would everyone vaccinate and stuff like that? Yeah. And that's exactly what we are saying. Like, why are games being called off for that now? Like, it's... It's it's nearly going on too long at this stage, like. But I'd say for Podrick Pierce's, they surely they must like they must have some sort of reason. They must have some communication that has kept them from kicking up a fuss about this because you see, you can't kick up a fuss about it. You know, I can kick up a fuss about it because I don't care about what, you know, people will criticise me even for kicking up a fuss about it. If you kick up a fuss about something like this, oh God, you don't care about somebody being sick. You know, it's this kind of attitude. Whereas the way I look at it, it's outdoor, it's, it's winter, it's windy. If you're sick, don't play. If you're not sick, play. And stop this messing. At this stage, you think people would give out to Paul Pierce's for kicking up a fuss, you know, like about... I, I just think Padre Pierce is like they're well within the rights to kick up for us because when they won that Roscommon County final they're they're expecting a three week gap and they're probably pre- training and preparing for that. The last three weeks now it's kind of dragged on for them and like it's 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 not it's far from ideal for them to be playing this weekend and it definitely suits Mount Belly by Lock a bit more to have got the two weeks when they probably needed it. Like, so they can't be too happy about the way it's worked out. No, no, definitely not. Anyway, the other big one in the hurling is Dunloy versus Slock Neil. This is in the athletic grounds um, in Armagh. Um, Slock Neil have won the last three of the last four Ulsters. Um, they've won nine in a row in Derry. Um, they beat Dunloy in 2007 and 2019. Think 2017 and 2019. Think was it the 17 was a final or the Semi-final, 19? 17, final 19. Final in 19. Um, Mickey Mickey <coughs> McShane um, after the 2019 finally like I mean there must have been some sort of talk I was trying to find it today because I was like this is a grudge match between these two and I was trying to find out why and I remember something going on and it was uh, Mickey McShane who's the Slock Neil manager who is now the Tyrone hurling manager um, he was appointed this year he was saying we're coming out this was after the beat done in 2019 we're coming out to prove ourselves you saw out there who the best hurling team uh, was 
And then he went on to, to explain the drive we got this week from people talking about how we weren't a good enough hurling team, that we were going to have to come out and bully Dunloy, physically intimidate them and do all of those things, but we wouldn't be able to out-hurl them. And they've certainly out-hurled them the last two times they've played them. But I, I think where, where this is coming from, I couldn't find a quote from Dunloy, but it was a kind of an attitude that Antrim are hurlers and the Derry boys are a bit of mullickers and we've got we've the skillful hurlers. Do you know that kind of attitude that Mickey McShane, who incidentally is an Antrim man, you know, is getting a little bit pissed off about? Yeah, there's no doubt that that's the case. Um, up in Antrim, especially among the North Coast, uh, it's all hurling up there, sort of like Barry Castle, uh, um and then just them sort of towns near the sea, they, they just love their hurling and they're not really interested in football. So the Antrim Championship would be so much stronger in terms of that. Like Slot Neil dominate Derry, they can sort of sleepwalk their way through it at times. So the, you know, the sort of uh, impression is that uh, they're not really real hurlers. You know, they're more focused on the football and prefer it. They get through their hurling handy enough and then they go into Ulster where they just try to rough teams up and try to be physical. Um, and stop real hurling teams from playing, you know, the beautiful game, as it were. But uh, in 2019, yeah, that, that was definitely the, the mentality they went in with the game, you know, to try and uh, prove them wrong. And in the end, they, they were they were definitely right. I, th- I thought it was the Glens was where all the hurling was in, in Antrim. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely up north, no, the north coast especially. Like, I mean, you're talking, the names escape me now. Cushendall, like Yeah, like, exactly, Cushendall, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, it's like nearer to Scotland than, than anywhere else. Uh, they're like a whole little um, world of their own up there. They they just live and breathe sort of hurling Ballycastle and places. Um, you go up there and like it's unusual for a Tyrone man to see because genuinely like there's no hurling where I'm from. Uh, it is it is all football uh, in, in its entirety. Um, a little bit in Derry, like when you get near the mountains, like the Sparren Mountains and stuff. But uh in terms of Antrim, yeah, you you go we go on like summer holidays, you know, to the likes of Ballycat, just because there's beaches and stuff, and everyone's out with their herds and they're pucking away, and it, it was nearly like I nearly associate seeing that with holiday time and summertime, you know, because that's how unusual it was for a Troma, you know, uh, where in Mid Ulster it's just purely football. But yeah, up there they they live and breathe uh, Ireland. Yeah, well, did you know that Leash is the only county that touches another county? that doesn't touch the sea. So, like, I can't get any more inlands uh, than Leash. <laughs> Anyways, that's what we say in Leash. The, the thing about Slocknail and this inferiority complex that their manager is obviously fighting <laughs> against, or that perception that's out there, I think their performance against Ballyhill Shamrock showed the whole country how good they are. So maybe that kind of, you know, reaction, Slocknail kind of, that day, people were like, Jesus, these lads are, these lads are a right team. Oh, they had Ballyhill in all sorts of bother that day. And if it wasn't for Colin Fenley... I'm nearly sure he got two goals that day. They nearly had them beaten, like, and yeah. I think that was up, was it up in Belfast, and the atmosphere was unbelievable that same and on day. On the telly, yeah, yeah, and like there was, as Lee was talking there, it kind of reminded me of that. There was young lads going around with hurls, and there was loads of people out poking on the pitch at half time, and it was kind of a, it was an advertisement for hurling in Antrim and how like how passionate they are about it, and yeah, like talking it's about Shane the, McGuigan, man, Mark TJ Reid. He plays wing back for the hurlers. Yeah, and they had lo- loads like Christy McCaig was there lording it that day and all yeah. these lads as well. And um no, it was uh, it was a brilliant performance. And I suppose looking back on the Slot Neil and Dunloy rivalry, I, I just seen Gregory O'Kane and he was the um Dunloy manager and he was saying that this was maybe twenty seventeen or nineteen and he was praising um, Slot Neil and saying that they were such brilliant athletes and after all the that's an insult you know, in itself like if that's you read between <laughs> the lines that's where the kind of 
that kind of tension maybe comes from. And I'd say the slot Neil boys, well, you think it's a compliment. Like he was kind of saying, oh, they're athletes and they've been playing so much football. There is such superior athletes to us like you're <laughs> you're not giving giving it to them that they're better hurlers than us you know yeah. oh that's where it obviously came from i couldn't find where it came from but that, like i mean we obviously Niall dc explained to us on the show anyways the respect hurling people have for lads that are footballers that they just do the donkey work they do the hard work they run around and then they'll give it to me and we'll stick it over the bar so i think that's probably maybe what uh Slocknail are a little bit pissed off over because they were they were known nationally more for football than they were for hurling, even though, you know, their achievements in hurling probably have outweighed their, their football now um, at this stage, especially if they win it this year. Kilmallock from Limerick beat it, playing Middleton. This will be a good game, I'm sure, as well. I'm looking forward to seeing Middleton. Um, the whole... the whole um, Ben O'Connor. Ben O'Connor <laughs> thing, the whole Lehan. See, well, I'm, I love watching Lehan when he's in form. Um, I hate watching him when he's not in form because you almost feel uncomfortable he can be that bad. Um, but the whole Ben O'Connor kind of thing and obviously Kilmallock are a very good team um, as well this is on TG Cahar at one fifteen now Yeah you're building up there it's easy to see why TG Cahar went for that instead of the Mount Bellew Park Pierce's game now isn't it um, no in fairness like it should be it should be a good game I was interviewing Graham Mulcahy there a few weeks ago and he was saying that they played in a challenge match a few weeks ago or a, f- a month ago a few months ago at the start of the season and it was a tight game and there was nothing between them and um, you'd expect something similar again this weekend. Like Kilmallock, like they they're such a consistent team. Like we were talking about them before, and they were in the twenty fifteen All Ireland Club Final. Um, and every year since, from twenty fifteen the whole way up to now, they've been in Lim- made every Limerick semi final. Like and um, they they lost the final in twenty seventeen. But you know they're always there, and the spine of that team that got to the final in twenty fifteen. Is still there. Like there's eight of them that started that day nice. that were starting in the Limerick final. They have a few young lads in as well, like your man Ushin O'Reilly, who has been he's been well, aside from Graham Mulcahy, maybe like he's been their main scorer and got a brilliant goal in the county final. There's a, another few as well, and it's just I suppose Kilmallock they've so much experience behind them at this stage. Um who did the lad at centre forward you said? Michael or Ocean O'Reilly got the goal and there's a Michael Houlihan as well who's been um Ocean O'Reilly was the fella who got fouled and scored the goal anyways. The hurl He got flaked yeah on his way in. He's a right good player that he is brilliant, yeah. And I suppose they've they've really added to Kilmallock, like when you've Mulcahy up there as well. Like he he was on fire in that Limerick County final, he got seven points from play. So um like Kilmallock they're they're just they're a they're a strong and they're a a strong club team like you know they'll never go down too easy Kilmala or Middleton like they had a few bad years but they bounced back like su- superbly really this year um, with Conor Lahan on fire and I suppose it'll be it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top because um, such you, uh, when you're looking at them coming in not knowing huge amounts about either team they seem very evenly matched, like, and uh, it's yeah. going to be a tight one. It's hard to call these ones, yeah. Like, it's interesting. Middleton played in 2018 Munster Club hurling uh, championship, but they lost the final to Mokilly. Mokilly, obviously, an area team that yeah. couldn't go any further. They were hammered by Bally Gunner. Ridiculous, really, that you, you know you get hammered in a county final. I think they were out the week after or something. Like, you're not, you're only going to be yes. hammered. The last time they, they won the Munster Club in 1987, um, so they're obviously on much better trajectory to be able to go on and do something in in uh, in Munster now. Like the idea, Lee, that you would play a county final and get beaten in it and then like you'd feel like a fraud of the highest order to be going on representing your county when you can't even win it. 
Yeah, it's definitely a strange one. Like, I mean, you're not even carrying in that sort of momentum and that good feeling of, you know, that you've earned this and that you're you're the best team in your county and now you're going to represent them. Like, it's it's sort of a, I, I don't know, it's definitely, a, it'd be a bittersweet sort of pill to bring in uh, to the provincial championship with you. Yeah, it definitely is. It's a little bit like the, like, and it's happened to me, you lose a provincial final and then you have to go on into an into a qualifiers. Usually, whoever, whenever you lose the provincial final, the majority of those teams lose the next game. You know what I mean? It's just demoralising. You can try and shake it off in meetings during the week and, you know, in training and say, mm. look, we're back. You're not, though. Mm. You're not. The least little thing um, and you're going to be in trouble. St. Rhinos versus Ballyhale Shamrocks. Um, St. Rhinos, I suppose, have to redeem themselves after the last show and they were demolished by the Leash champions, um, Rathdowney, Niall. Yeah, it was 18 point hammering they got that day. That was, they've won obviously three county titles in a row in Offaly, but didn't get to go to Leinster to redeem themselves last year. So um, it's a tough kind of place to have to go. That was a freak result though. Like, I mean, right there, at least champions wouldn't usually beat the Offaly champions, never mind destroy them like that. Oh, it was a complete freak result. Like, it, it was actually a tight enough game. I remember listening to it on the radio, it was tight enough up until half time. And then um, Rhinos had, uh, I think it was Paul Quirk was sent off. And from there, they just completely capitulated. And Rathdowney got a few goals for a finish. So it probably flattered them a small bit. And right. it, it didn't look too good for Rhinos. But um, it, it's a tough place to go to be trying to redeem yourself to be playing Ballyhead Shamrocks. Like, um, I know they, they probably weren't at their unbelievable best um, last weekend against Mount Leinster Rangers. But... They always seem to do enough, and um, like while Rhinos, they've they've a lot of lot of good players, a number of players who played for Offaly, like Ben Keneally, he's the Offaly captain. Joey O'Connor is a dual player for Offaly, played hurling and football. Is Sean Dolan as well, who's a brilliant dual player. Like so, they've a lot of good players, St. Rhinos, and obviously a consistent team to have done it three years on the go now in a row now. But um, against Ballyhale, like it's going to be tough for them. Yeah, no, it, it definitely will. Last hurling one, um, Lee, you'll be glad to hear. Um, about <laughs> I'm sweating here, so I'm. <laughs> Jeez, what's Willie going to ask me about this? Then? Yeah, is um, in O'More Park. It's a, it's again, it's in O'More Park. I'm pretty sure. Am I right? It's Clock Bellacolla versus Kilmacoke Crooks. This is on RTE at six yeah. fifteen on Saturday night. Again, Clock Bellacolla coming off a great win, and I I think Kilmacoke Crooks are beatable here. Like I mean, you know, they're not they're not they're no cooler coming down. You know where you'd be up against it. It's a winnable game for Clock Balakala. I'd say it is, and they're definitely thinking that going into it because Clock Balakala are the team in form at the moment. Like they haven't lost a game under um, Declan Laffin, who's a Lockmore man, a former Lockmore player as well. And I suppose Lockmore have the magic touch at the moment. Like, and he's 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 brought that to to Clock Balakala, and like we've seen how good they were that day against Rapparees. Like it was tight enough for a while, but when Clock Balakala got going just before half time, like Rapparees never really got close to them. And that was because of players like, you know, Willie Highland was, he was absolutely brilliant that day. And you were talking about him, he's not hurling for leash, like, but like what a brilliant club player he is for them. And yeah. just a real stylish player. And he'll be, it'll be great. I'm looking forward to even getting to watch him again after watching him there two weekends ago. And Lee Clear, it was another one who was tremendous that day. Like, so Clock Balakala. Like they'll be, they'll definitely be confident. Like having beaten the Wexford champions, and I know, I know that gap might have affected them or whatever. But Clockbell won't worry about that. Kilmico Crokes, like they kind of scraped over Nafina in that Dublin final. But in fairness to them, they gave Raharney a Westmead a good clip in the next day, scored five goals, and Ronan Hayes and Alex Constantine got two goals each. And you know, for lads like that to be on form. 
they could eat like and such big lads as well in these conditions they could easily bag a goal or two to put Clock Balacala on the back foot like yeah no definitely and another thing with Clock Balacala a little bit like Lockmore Castellani Lee Clear in the half back line Willie Highland in midfield you have you have Picky Marr in the half forward line you have Willie Dunphy, uh, Willie Dunphy, Dunphy and forward. you have young Stephen Bergen who's on the county panel you know they have a lovely spread Brain, of their yeah. county players and you need that um, on every line on every line of the field so moving on from the, the club matches the Hurling All-Stars have been announced where do we start with this the most ever in hurling or football, the the most uh, previous was ten, I think, in <coughs> two thousand and eight with Kilkenny. Um, Limerick have got twelve all stars, and the most incredible thing about this is, is in my opinion, three of the four that are unlucky are Limerick men. <laughs> like I mean, it's just it's not in short of unbelievable. And the great thing about this all star team as well, Baron Tony Kelly, who I don't think he should have should have got one. Um, every player is in his position because they're all Limerick <laughs> there's 12 of them Limerick men I know I seen the picture this morning and it was just like I thought I was looking at Limerick naming their team or something for a league game like it was just so many Limerick lads and I suppose this year like I, I was kind of racking my head this morning of which way like how, how is is there lads you could try and squeeze into this team but that is what you're trying to do yeah. you're kind of trying to squeeze them in to give maybe Cork just because they got to the final just to give them someone on the team do you know but the thing about it this year, I find, is like you're looking at lads like in other years, players like Owen Cody, Jason Ford, and these type of lads, like they they had brilliant years. Like Jason Ford was scoring all around him for Tipperary. Tim O'Matany, Patrick Mahoney, Horgan, Jack O'Connor, all these lads. Jack O'Connor, yeah. he was one I was going to say. There's lots of lads who are kind of, they had brilliant years, and in other years, they probably would have got all stars. And there's players who have who've had worse years and have got yeah. all stars. Even John Conlon, you could even throw into the mix. Dear Mid Ryan, you know. Uh, you could say going like there's, there's there was a few maybe Stephen Bennett as well. Like there was so many lads that were Kieran Bennett too that just hurled well. But I suppose that's a testament to the standard of hurling that was played this year. There was so many standout performers that lads like Cody and Ford they're not really getting a mention. Like our Cork unlucky. Uh, Lee, without having to know the ins and outs of hurling, they've made an all and final. They have no all-star. Now, this is, I'd say this is unprecedented as well. I don't think this has ever happened. Like, I mean, to not get one. Now, we're not trying to make an argument uh, for somebody or not for somebody. Like, we're saying, you know, the, the three obvious ones would be Jack O'Connor, there would be Patrick Horgan, and Tim O'Matney would probably be the three that you would say are in with a shout. For me, they don't get one because of who they're up against and it's very hard to squeeze onto that team like, I mean the, the the other time this happened was 2008 Waterford got to the Waterford got to the All-Ireland final and got destroyed by Kilkenny um, destroyed in the final a very very similar situation Waterford beaten in the first round of the Munster Championship went got a great run through the qualifiers Cork this year were beaten in the first round of the Munster Championship they went on to have three good wins three good wins on a row, Clare, Dublin and Kilkenny. So they won three games and they lost two, right? So I suppose the, the Waterford got one All-Star in 2008 after getting destroyed in the final. Only one, Owen Kelly at full forward. He was scoring heavily, which, you know, you might make the argument Patrick Horgan deserved one then. But like, I mean, do they deserve one for winning three and drawing two? You know, their, their standout wins were against Clare and Kilkenny. Out fantastic games. Um, I don't know I'm on the fence should one been pushed in to mark the fact they made the All-Ireland final or is winning three and losing two um, enough and being humiliated in a final 
See, it, you, there's no way that you can say that they're not unlucky. Like to go on that journey, and um, especially with the win over Kilkenny in the manner that they did it in the semi final as well. Yeah, uh, it it seems really harsh to be fair that they didn't get it. But then you look at it. It, it what's strange is, is that you're making a team of all stars, but it's on individual merits. So in many ways, it doesn't really merit in that respect and in what you've won and what you've lost as a team. You know, it's it's down to these people in their individual positions. Yeah. Like, but if, if you're talking like even with statistics, like Patrick Organ, I think he's the championship's top scorer this year. So for him to score more than everyone else and still not get an all star, you know, like you're obviously you're still weighing that up against uh, whoever uh, you're trying to fight a position for him in terms of Limerick. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, it, it probably like, you just got to put it down. You you take it all back. Like, who was the best? Who's the best fullback lane? And you take all the players from selection. And if it works out, if it's more Limerick than it is Cork, then you just got to take each one of them in, you know, isolation. And you can't just say yeah, just because they're in the final. I don't think you can just shoehorn one in. Although, I mean, like you say, it's the first time ever that probably that this has been the case, and and it does seem very harsh. They probably thought they would uh, get at least one. Yeah, because like I mean, you look at it like Aaron Galan got one five in the semi final, one six in the final. He came on and turned the game around, kind of against Tipperary uh, when he was needed. Like you'll you'll say you see, I say Patrick Horgan, and I would make that argument. If Patrick Horgan got an All Star, no one would probably give out about it. Do you know what I mean? So I do think Cork probably deserve maybe the Patrick Horgan one, and I put Patrick Horgan in instead of Tony Kelly because when you look at it, like Tony Kelly was a shoe-in last year. He had three or four, like, Roy of the Rover-style games. And then he started this year in a similar vein against Waterford, a full forward. Remember one point he got, the ball came in, like, a long clearance maybe from the half-back line. He just took it on the hurl, all into one go. He scored five or six points anyways, right? (laughs) So Tony Kelly played four games this year. He was outstanding against Waterford, outstanding against Cork in in the Gaelic rounds. Now, when Tony Kelly's outstanding, he's he's just, like, the greatest player, you know, in the country. Like there's no one comes close to him the way he covers the ground and glides around. He he gets really into it and fists to the crowd. But the reality is Tony Kelly wasn't great against Tipperary and he wasn't great against Wexford. Now our two outstanding games, he didn't even play past the qualifiers. He didn't make quarter final, semi final, final. Patrick Horgan played all those three games. Like when you actually break it down like that. Like Patrick Horgan was outstanding. Again. Well, not, maybe outstanding, very good against Kilkenny. I think he scored six from play. Like, you know, is Tony Kelly deserved to be in on that team for two outstanding games in the year? Yeah, I, well, I'm replacing Tony Kelly as well, and I'm putting Aaron Galan in, not Patrick Horgan, <laughs> to be honest. So like. you, you can't make a case. There's two things here. Can you make a case for someone from Cork, and does Tony Kelly deserve one? Well, like you were kind of saying, like, yeah, does someone from Cork deserve one? And I suppose it for me that comes down to between Aaron Galan and Patrick Horgan, right? And if like it's a straight shootout for Tony Kelly's position, because I'd agree with you with what you said there. Like it was outstanding last year, Tony Kelly, and he, like he he was better last year. Like well, he was good this year. He was a little bit better last year. He was sensational that day against Wexford, and there was another day as well. And I think. Having played so well against Waterford in the first game this year, people were nearly like, "Geez, Tony Kelly, sure he's nailed on for an All Star again." And like he did, he he that day against Cork, I'll never forget that point he scored. Do you remember when he tapped Niall O'Leary yeah, on the helmet? Like it was stand. one of the best points you've ever seen. Like and there was there was a lot of sensational moments from Tony Kelly. The goal against Tipperary was unreal as well. And I suppose everything he does, he does it with such style. You're kind of yeah. you're nearly giving him man of the match straight away, but. I think like Aaron Galan's contribution is definitely like what he did. He changed that monster final when Limerick were up shit's creek completely. Like, you know, they were 
there were I think there were ten points down when he came on. He got a point straight away. He took the shot to Seamus Flanagan got the rebound goal from, and he scored another point as well. And he was just like they started. John Kiley started that game without him, and Limerick did not look the same whatsoever without him. Like, and he brought him on after half an hour, and that coincided with Limerick kind of completely turning the tables on Tipperary, and. In the semi-final against Waterford, he scored 1-5. He was good that day, got the brilliant goal to sort of finish Waterford off. And in the final, sure, he got an unbelievable goal. He scored three points from play, three frees. Like, he was just... Like, he was one of the key men for Limerick this year in winning the All-Ireland. Like, so that's... Yeah. I think that's an absolute cert for an All-Star, to be honest, Aaron Galan. Yeah. So, like, Aaron Galan, Dan Morrissey... Like, it's easier to work backwards. Aaron, Mala- Aaron Galan, Dan Morrissey and Nicky Quaid arguably three of their best players didn't get all didn't get all stars. Obviously Owen Murphy's way more spe- this is the James McGarry Brendan Cummins conundrum. Yeah. Um whereas Owen Murphy pulls off the Brendan Cummins spectacular saves. His puck outs a, a lot of the time go go along. Um like I remember Owen Murphy was criticizing the Wexford game when Wexford were coming back at them. He continued to go along with his puck outs. You know that kind of mm. he, he makes some of these spectacular saves all that's forgotten about. Nicky Quaid does not miss puck outs. His puckouts don't go straight. They go where they want. They go to hand. And often that's not, and I'm the same. I don't really, puck out and kick out analysis bores me a little bit, but that's the bread and butter of it. Do you know what I mean? And Nicky Quaid's suffering for that. And plus he's suffering because he's behind the best back yeah. six in the country. And he's not making those spectacular saves because there are no shots being taken on him. And all those things are being added up. Like Dan Morrissey also came on against Tipperary when Limerick were in yeah, up shit creek had no fullback presence Tipperary were going along with their puck outs and they were all over the place he he settled down that ship and settled down the ship for the rest of the year and like I'm making a <laughs> 15. case that 15 Limerick man Jesus no it's it is it's a like I, I actually when I was making my team like I had Dan Morrissey in there ahead of Pronti I think I had Tim O'Mahony I was giving it to Tim O'Mahony I was giving him the Given Cork one, it was ahead of Dermot Burns, like, but it's uh, You're forcing that now. And and to be fair, Prunty is probably a little bit more dynamic than Dan Morrissey. Dan Morrissey does this simple thing, gives it off. Where Prunty might kind of, you know, bald headed go out in front of his man, yeah. and he has some good games. He struggled against Shamie Callanan. I wouldn't be against it, but like, I mean, if the whole fifteen were from Limerick, like, like you could. Yeah. I don't know. Like you, you'd be well within your rights. Anyways, um, we spent loads of time on that. Player of the year is going to be Keen Lynch. Young player of the year is probably between Owen Cody and Aidan McCarthy. Um, I don't know Owen Cody's got enough of these he probably deserves it this year more than any other years he got two already Owen Cody win he the last two won, he won the one last year and he was probably slightly lucky like because it wasn't his best year yeah and I, I think Aidan McCarthy's a great player he deserves to be marked as a young player of the year he is a tremendous player in fairness but if we're going on this year yeah. alone I'd say Owen Cody has to get it like he was he was unreal that day against Wexford and he was probably Kilken- like he was Kilkenny's fo- he was their main man today against Cork too so like Aidan McCarthy is, he's brilliant to watch and he's a brilliant player, but I'd be giving it to him, Cody. Right, OK, so Football All-Stars, Lee, this is going to be announced tomorrow night. This is the surprise. It's always interesting, um, you know, when the, with, with the alternate, obviously, the years of which is the surprise on the night. And it's obviously not a surprise on the night because they hear the night before. Um, so they're not going up there wondering what's going on. It's just the rest of us um, probably here. Who was it? Um, Mike and Quinn Livin got the All-Star when they got to the All-Ireland semi-final that year and Declan Brown texted him the night before yeah. and says congratulations or something. <laughs> Wasn't that it? I think so. I remember like hearing about that before. Quinn Livin hadn't been told at that stage but Declan Brown had heard and he broke the news to Quinn Livin. Um, I think that was it. Um, but anyways, they, uh, the football All-Stars, like I mean, I'll, I'll, 
I don't know, there's a few nailed on positions here. Niall Morgan's nailed on. Hamsey's nailed on. Um, Peter Hart, Paddy Dirk and Lee Keegan are probably nailed on in the backs. We'll go with two backs up for grabs and we'll discuss them. Midfield is nailed on, Kilpatrick and Ruan. The half forward line of McGeary, Paddy Clifford and Myler for me is nailed on. Um, McCurry, David Clifford is nailed on. So the two in the full back line will start with that probably are up for some sort of a debate. I have Podrick O'Hora fullback and Michael McKernan um, cornerback. Who who have you gone for? I think I put in Rona McNamee. Um, At fullback? Yeah, I think so. Um, I thought he was outstanding this year, in fairness. Um, I think you picked... I was just sort of looking at your team as well. You had Michael McKernan, and the more I think about it, uh, and sorry, in the cornerback position, he, he has been fantastic, to be fair. But uh, now that I've turned the Limerick team, I, I feel like just picking all the own players, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so I didn't you... know we could be that biased. But, yeah. <laughs> have you have you full, the entire full, Tyrone full back line on your team? Yeah, I think, uh, who did I have now? Uh, Potty Hamshay. No, I had Potty Hamshay and I had Ronan McNamee. Um, and then just sort of, Maybe Porrick O'Hara to cornerback. Porrick like, O'Hara to Okay. Yeah, so, just sort of shifted it that road. Uh, I had Michael McKernan missing out just on my team, but I do feel harsh in, in even saying that. Yeah, I think Michael McKernan is, uh, like, was absolutely outstanding all year, both going forward and defending. For a fella who didn't, who a little, a lot of the talk kind of was about Niall Sludden not being in, in favour at the start of the year. Neither was McKernan, and he just turned mm-hmm. out to be, you know, re- really, really um, outstanding the whole season. Peter Hart, Paddy Dirk and Lee Keegan. We're probably moving Lee Keegan out from the full back line where he played most of it. But let's be honest, Lee Keegan's getting an all-star and he will get an all-star for what he did kind of from the half back line, driving them forward up. So I suppose while I don't like picking players out of position, um, Lee Keegan is getting his all-star for what he did more as an attacking halfback than he is for what he did kind of defending in the full back line. Yeah, and, and it is sort of fair enough because, I mean, he was just absolutely devastating from that and he was such a major concern throughout the whole... And especially because in, in recent years, people were sort of saying that, you know, he's, he's maybe passed his best and he'd sort of peaked. Um, but this year, he just sort of <laughs> revitalised. He was flying fit, an absolute machine. You know, he, he looked like one of the youngest men on the pitch, even though he's obviously one of the more experienced of the Mayo old guards. But um, he, he was just frightening um, from that half-back line, or, for, well, making his runs from the back line. Um, Peter Hart, yeah, I think he, he's a nailed on cert, but um, I did see some debate on Twitter, people not thinking that he was as good uh, this season but I actually thought from halfback in a saddle position because Mickey Hart would have been guilty of moving him around a little too much, you know, and not giving him a sort of saddle position, trying him out at centre halfback and positions like that, but I do think Number seven, the halfback line is definitely where uh, he's put his best work and he was brilliant this year. Yeah, I think he was more more than solid this year, Peter Hart. I don't see anybody that's going to shift him out of there. I The, the big question, we're talking about Cork. They got to an All-Ireland final. Dublin got to an All-Ireland semi-final. Does a Dublin player get on the team? I've, I've Kieran Kilkenny uh, squeezing in at corner forward. Yeah, no, not for me. Uh, I, I think Ryan O'Donoghue probably deserves that position more than uh, Kieran Kilkenny for sure. And then I, I, even looking back, uh, an honourable mention, probably not enough to, to squeeze him in, but Daniel Flynn was excellent this year for Kildare. Um, I thought he was really, really good. But in, if you're comparing uh, Kieran Kilkenny this season to Ryan O'Donoghue, I think O'Donoghue's season sort of mared a little because people just think of the penalty miss in the final. But he did, you know, he'd already kicked like five points before that. He was very good on the day of ball. He had a big... Uh, Boots to fill in terms of Killian O'Connor uh, being missing, and he was excellent throughout the whole season. And I do think that he just edges it ahead of Kieran Kilkenny. 
Yeah, well, like I mean, Ryan O'Donoghue got some scores. First two games, you'd have to, you'd nearly write off. Like I mean, he got scores against. Um, he got scores against Leitrim and against Sligo. Sorry. Like, I mean, Kieran Kilkenny was very good against Mayo. He was really good in the first half. I think he got three from, from play in total. He was very good against Kildare. Sometimes people dis- dismiss Dublin and Leinster, but Kildare are a bloody Division 1 team next year. Like, if Kildare were in Connacht and, you know, Ryan O'Donoghue scored three or four points from play against him, it would be rated a lot high. Or, you know, against Roscommon. Are Roscommon any better than Kildare? I don't think so. Um, like I, it's difficult to know. I've, I've, I've put Kilkenny in there. I've gone for Tyrone eight, Mayo four, Kerry two, Dublin one. Um, kind of breakdown, which, which I think is fair. Again, if if Ryan O'Donoghue got it ahead of Kilkenny, I don't think there'd be any kind of war outside of Dublin supporters. In, ter- in terms of just Kerry, as you mentioned there, will will Potty Clifford as a, as a dead on cert? Do you think he, he is uh, ahead of even Sean O'Shea? Sean O'Shea was this year's top scorer of the championship, and I thought he was very dangerous. Uh, and he still played sort of well in, in, in the semi-final against Jerome while Potty Clipper was well beaten by Conor Myler in that sense. Yeah, I don't. Potty Clifford still got two. I don't know. Potty Clifford battled well that day. Just Myler was all mm. over him. You know, I don't know if Sean O'Shea was outstanding. I just think Potty Clifford's form in in Munster was so good. Uh, yeah. He was in the running for player of the year that he would be unlucky not to get an All-Star. Again, if it was between him and Sean O'Shea, you wouldn't have too many arguments. Now, there's a lot of 50-50s here. You know, like, I mean, I wouldn't be passionately saying Clifford over Sean O'Shea any day, like, at all. There is. It's it's very tough. It's very tough. Even that one you said, Kieran Kilkenny and Ryan O'Donoghue, like, it's another tough one as well. Um, I suppose in the party Clifford, he's maybe just, from play, he's a little bit more eye-catching, I'd say, maybe, than Sean O'Shea. Sean O'Shea is not like as Paddy Clifford as this kind of dynamism about me takes that on, beats him with a dummy yeah. or something like that. And, and and sorry to cut you off, Paddy Clifford played centre forward all year. Sean O'Shea mm. played in the full forward line most of the year. You know, so like I mean, pa- Sean O'Shea realistically is up against David Clifford. You know, yeah. Paddy is the like Sean O'Shea was moved out of position this year. Yeah, it, it's um, I suppose it's it's a tough one that way, and I suppose the the best people to ask would be would be Kerry fans because. Having they'd be maybe kind of closer to it and who they who they think would get it, but um, it's uh like between the hurling and the football, it's such tight margins, and there's always going to be someone who's like slightly unlucky, and it seems to be more so even this year that there's so many lads vying for one position that I wouldn't like to be picking the team myself. No, definitely not. So footballer of the year, Kieran McGeary. We'll see how this pans out um, tomorrow night. Obviously, um, young footballer of the year. I'm saying Ushin Mullen is young footballer of the year and I'd like your opinion on to how Darrow Canavan even made the shortlist of three um, for young footballer of the year as a troll man. Yeah, I don't know. There just was no young footballers this year, I think. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I love Dark Canavan and he's so exciting when he comes onto the pitch and he did make a big difference in the semi-final and in the final. Um, and even just, just just a boost seeing him come on, you know, he, he brings a, a dynamism and a, an air of excitement about him. But uh, we definitely haven't seen the best of him. There's definitely more to come. Uh, and if you can get a string of games without injuries, because it's the same with the club season this year, just injuries seem to be hampering him very early on. Then, like you know, he's more than capable than being, uh, you know, up there as as a young player of the year sort of prospect. But no, he, he, I mean, he missed most of this season. I think he missed the entirety of the Ulster Championship. <laughs> did like, we talk yeah, about? Did we talk about this before? We did, or was I talking to somebody else about this? I, no, I think I think we did. I think we mentioned it. To be fair, I, like no, I, I I don't understand um him being picked there. To be fair, I, I think it's Ashley Mullins. Uh, nailed on he won it last year as well so this will be two years in a row for Ashi. 
Yeah, the Geelong Cats will be deli- absolutely delighted with that. They've, put so, they've invested so much money in his and so much effort into his underage uh, underage talents to get him. Shout out to Tommy Doyle here now before we take a quick break um, and come back. Uh, Joe McDonough, Hurler of the Year. Cheddar Plunk would be delighted with this. Huge fan of Tommy Doyle, uh, Cheddar Plunk it always was. And uh, funnily enough, his best performance for Westmead, and which kind of got him national prominence, was... He cleaned Shamey Callanan out of it at full back in Turles in the in the qualifiers one year. Westmead did really well against. Uh, t- I think it was 2017. Tip had lost to Cork in Turles, and uh, he was brilliant that day full back. He's won Player of the Year now as centre back. He's been moved out. Um, obviously, they're not raining ball in on top of him anymore. That's not how the game has gone. So Tommy's had to kind of reinvent himself a little bit, and he's gone out centre back. Wasn't that what he was saying to you in an interview yeah. there last year? He was in full back, and teams have kind of worked out that whatever ball they do put up in the air, he's going to come down and catch it. So he moved out to centre-back and he was loving it out there. And I think that's what he plays there for his club, Lachlan Gales as well. And like I think Cheddar loves Tommy Doyle. I think everyone loves Tommy Doyle because he's such a wholehearted player, a real sort of dynamic and an eye-catching player, the way he goes up for the ball. And when he's a big man as well, he's coming out and he's ready to floor someone. Like and Westmead's Dahi Burke. Definitely, yeah. Like just a bulldozer of a man. Like, and uh, he's—it's always very exciting to watch him play. But he's—he's he's also like a, a brilliant hurler and one of the best Westmead have had. Like, yeah, exactly. Congratulations to Tommy Dial. All right, we'll come. We'll take a quick break and come back with a little bit more. So we were talking on Monday, lads, about Connor Glass. Uh, now, remember the fetch he went up and he put his knee into the to the back of the Glen player I can't remember which one it was but he got up mm-hmm. and he kind of knew the minute the ref blew the whistle he handed the ball down like he'd done something wrong but he's been out on Twitter anyways and he's been talking about this and he says it's a grey this is what he says on Twitter he says big grey area in the GEA the rule book states to charge an opponent in the back or to the front and he says in my opinion the action of taking a, a specky that's the na- that's what the AFL call it when you, you you know get up on someone's back is not deemed a charge we are taught to jump up, to jump when you're fetching with the knee up. And if the opposition is standing under the ball, well, then that's his own risk. I tend to agree with him here. Like, you know, when you're, when you're fetching, I'll throw this to Lee, actually, who played more football than you. When you're fetching in Gaelic football, the natural thing is to put your knee up. I don't know. Maybe it's a bit like Nylon hurling, where you go to catch and you put your hurley up to kind of, it's just a natural kind of um, way of doing it. And if a fella's in front of you, you know, should you have to put your knee down and stand, you know, put your two legs down, you know, straightly yeah. and, and change your whole change your whole fetching technique because the fella in front of you has not has not judged the pitch of the ball. You have yeah. and your knee goes in his back. It is. It's definitely an interesting one. No, it definitely is because you're actually coached to keep your knee up. It's to protect you from not someone taking the legs from in under you. But I think that's in the theory that you're jumping alongside someone competing for a ball. Right. Um, and you both have your knee up because then the rule would also suggest that you're not allowed to push anyone in the back. And the push doesn't necessarily mean it's your hands. Like if you were to, you know, charge into them or use your leg or your knee to propel off them, that, that could be technically... Uh, classified as a push but this is why it's a gray area because you've got you know contradicting things there all in the one in the one um rule but uh 
I, I'm literally like five foot six, so I'm not jumping or competing for anything um, with anyone. But uh, in terms of Connor Glass's situation, it must be very frustrating because this is a skill that he has and he's magical at it as well. And it's something he's obviously honed in, in the AFL. He sees the ball in the air and he knows that he can get it above everyone else by using, you know, first of all, the sharpness and, and you know, being clever enough to see his surroundings faster than everyone else to propel up catch it beautifully and bring it down without hurting the person in front of them. So it must be very frustrating to have this skill in your arsenal and you're not allowed to use it. And it's a grey area as it is. Yeah, it must be, it must ask. Um, it, it, for me, fetching is hard enough to begin with. I could never do it. Terrible fetcher, as anyone listens to the show will know. Like, I mean, I just misjudged them, ran under them or, you know, if I did get to the pitch of them, it could go through my bloody hands, whatever anyways. I could never... Uh, Get to the pitch of it was the hardest thing for me at full speed to get out in front of your man. How do, how they can do it to judge getting your knee on someone's back to give mm. yourself that push and then catch to the pitch of it. For me, it's almost impossible. Um, it is a bit dangerous though. Like, I mean, we were talking on Monday about getting it in the shoulder blades. I don't really know what to think of it now. Like, I think it looks class. If a player got injured in the shoulder blades because of it, it's not ideal. I think it, it's, it's an unusual skill as in, I don't think we'll see everybody doing it. Because I, I don't I don't know I don't, like I mean maybe if there's a mark in GEA maybe if you know if you saw Connor Glass getting away with it young lads would practice it yeah like it is a bit dangerous as as you said and as we said on on the show last week but or on Monday but I suppose like it is that is the skill uh, is judging the ball and Darren Hughes like he he misjudged that ball that he was caught under it. And I know anyone, whether it's hurling or football, if you're caught under a high ball, like you know that you're going to, like someone is going to nail you, like, and it's the worst place to be when there's a ball coming high and you're just standing there, like ready to be nailed by someone. Yeah, but, could, you could end up smashing into you, both of you fall, and you're on the ground. Yeah, and it, pro- it probably it's your own fault that you are in that position. Like yeah. you should have been further back. You should have judged it, judge your jump. And just watching Connor Glass's catch, like it was, as you said, it was an unbelievable piece of skill. Not just to judge the ball, but to judge the time and the right time to put your knee up on his back and to yeah. kind of but is he fly propell- up. is he pro- is he using the, the knee in the back to get that little bit higher? Because if he is doing that, he is kind of charging with his knee. That's moving away from the technique of just bringing your knee up. Do you get me? So in that sense, glass isn't really correct. If he just ends up catching it and his momentum follows through True. and he hits in front of the player with his knee, that is okay. But if you're going to use the other fella's back with your knee to get that bit higher, like is Glass, Glass probably wrong then? It seemed like that was the way he was using it because it he was up on Hughes' back before he got the ball and then kind of sprang up again to get the ball. So it is, it's a, it's a tough one. It's obviously allowed in AFL and that's what's called the specky. And yeah. there was a picture of Caelan Mooney doing the same thing. He played AFL as well and he caught a ball similar against um, Roscommon a few years ago and he said he, he got away with it like the referee didn't call it so it's, it's, it is it's a tough one kind of to know which way is right like whether yeah as you said if you follow through after then it probably is like it's that's not a free it's not a free but the other I'd be kind of like I was saying the other day that I think it, it's probably too dangerous but I'm kind of coming towards Connor Glass's perspective that if you're caught there it's your own fault 
Maybe, maybe. I, I don't know which side to come down on. I, maybe in professional games they can practice it more in GEA. Like if they're all start to do this, I think maybe it could get, yeah. you know, it could be get messy. And not only, like, I mean, if you don't have that rightly, it's not just the fella who you're putting the knee into that's going to get hurt. Like you could get up so high that your knee could go on a fella's shoulders. Now you're completely out of control in midair and come down in your neck or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you can't get away from the fact that Connor Glass was a professional athlete, so he, he's done that and he sort of made it look easy. And then we're all sort of looking at it, being like, "God, everyone should do that." But yeah. you know, the reality is, if he gets away with that, then players who aren't capable are going to be trying that, <laughs> and you know, that haven't been coached <laughs> to how to do it, you know, correctly and safely and to the best uh, of their ability. Um, you will end up hurting either the person in front of you or yourself because he—I don't even sure he used his back to. To get any higher, he just sort of used it to stay where he was longer, so he could yeah, get back yeah, and catch it, so it didn't, you know, go behind him. But like, I mean, if you're going to be trying to do that, you you, you overjudge how much you put the knee in, uh, you propel yourself backwards. Now you're landing on your neck, and you know you can't even blame anyone in that situation because you were trying something that was definitely uh, a bit dangerous. Like if it, if it was brought in as something a spacky or whatever they want to call it. Uh, it need to be something that then has to be coached, and not just that it's a freestyle thing that everyone tries. Yeah, uh, you know, just because they've seen Connor do. So, like, I mean, backroom teams would go from twenty to twenty-one. You'd have a specky coach that have to follow everywhere on the bus. Uh, like, maybe someone bluffer like Stephen Poacher would become a specky coach, and he would do. Uh, he would do coaching sessions every Saturday morning pretending he knows how to do it. Like, I mean, talking about backroom teams, right? Wait till you hear John Myler talking about backroom teams. So the first bit. First bit, there's sense to it, right? So I'm going to read out this. I don't, can't remember where I was reading these quotes. He says, uh, he's talking about management and how backroom teams started getting bigger. Um, As it moved along, the whole thing changed. There was a gradual introduction of more and more people into the background. The trainer came in, then a strength and conditioning person, different coaches came in, stats and analysis came in, IT came in, psychologists came in, and suddenly you've gone from 10 on a match day uh, to a small company of 30 or 40 people who have all individual functions and tasks to do. You have masseurs, the medical staff, the physios. It's a little company. So the manager now, you're managing the management team who are managing the players. That's ultimately it. And it just, like the dynamic of, you know, the old school manager who did everything. And you'd have one masseur. And now it's every team has a thing. And he hasn't even mentioned the goalkeeping coaches and Dave to be there. I don't know, do all these people need to be there on match day? Like they need, some managers say they need two buses now, one for the backroom team and the other, and they'd be all in the dress room and they'd be all in the way. I think for me, I would keep it simple. But he goes on there, he goes on to say the manager's job today is coordination of all the different units within the backroom team. And then you've lots of things, to, or, and then you have lots of things going on off the field as well, which have nothing to do with hurling, but you have to be aware of them too. This is the one that really uh, got me, right? So he goes on to say, like half of the core panel in my time were in college and exams at third level are always on in May, which is Munster Championship time. I had a fella appointed and we said to him, we need to make sure all these fellas have their assignments done and their study done to make sure that they're not stressed out on a Sunday. Because if they have exams on a Monday, which it might affect their performance entirely. Now, <laughs> this is a new one to me. So all the stuff beforehand, I was saying grand, grand, grand. And then he's saying, right, there's stuff outside of the game you have to follow too. He had a fella appointed 
to make sure lads had their assignments and and things done in college that it wouldn't affect them on a Sunday. Now, I have to say that, that this is micromanagement of the highest order. Like some people might listen to that and go, oh God, they're covering every base. If a fella on my... I went to, to, to training to not be thinking about that nonsense and your college work and your messing. That's all other side of your, of your life. Like, I mean, I never worried about college work. Football was a release from that kind of stuff. And like, I mean, maybe di- fellas have different dis- kind of are disposed kind of differently to worry. But if I had somebody going to train on a Thursday night or Tuesday night saying, have you your assignment done now? Because I'd be telling them to very, very known certain terms. That's not of your business, buddy. Well, I say if, if I had someone asking me how my assignments done, I'd probably tell them I had them done even if I didn't have them done because like, <laughs> like what, how is he like it honestly doesn't make sense because how is he going to know I'd say everyone is just going to say to him oh sure of course I have them done whether you have them done or you don't have them done and like what, what is this that's it's hardly like a homework coach like or what is the what is this lad's title like because homework officer homework officer like, <laughs> like it's honestly as if you're dealing with a bunch of babies like because yeah. It's lads, micromanagement lads and that, it's micromanagement right they're 23 or 4 years of age like the, the the lads you're talking about lads in college like and they don't want to be going to play football or play in hurling to find out about the college that they've been kind of dossing through or that the They've put, they've gone through all day and don't want to hear about it again. Like, yeah, I, I remember in when was it, uh, nineteen ninety eight. We were in the, I was doing marketing in DCU. But I'd say the best football in my career was played across the years where I kept dropping out of college and you know didn't do exams and you know all that kind of thing. But maybe that's because I was wasn't even remotely stressed about it or thinking about it. But I was in college in uh, in DIT and I was commuting up and down and we we're in the All Ireland final against Kerry on the Saturday and we lost it and I had my exams looming on the Monday and not a tap had I done for these exams not a dicky bird and way behind and everything had been bluffing all year but all this was catching up on me now and I was going to be found out in these exams but anyways I um, I played well on the Saturday the exams weren't even even remotely in my mind and we lost the final I, I played alright in the game and we went out on the Saturday and all day on the Sunday. And I, my solution was I just didn't go into the exam. <laughs> I didn't go into the exams, and you I ended up I dropped out of DIT. The whole year was for nothing. There was a lot of tension in the house at home. I don't know, Lee, what you think. Like a young lad is entitled if he wants to not give a shit about college and not have not go to play Gaelic games, something that is thoroughly enjoyable and has its own pressures, and have someone annoying him about having their bloody exam work done. Yeah, exactly. It, it just falls under the category of like, it's it's none of your business, really, to be honest. I mean, it, it doesn't, I don't see it as a help. It just, that seems to me like an added stress. Like you're already, your teachers or your lectures or something are already on to you about deadlines and exams coming up. Then you go to training that night and that's, and then there's some guy there telling you, oh, your your exams and your assignments are coming up. You know what I mean? Like it would drive you insane. Yeah. It would make you not want to go to university. It'd make you not want to go to training. Like you would just end up avoiding all of it. Um, I don't even know how, how do you become an exam officer or whatever it was doing. Like, is it a, for, a former teacher? Do they still get the tracksuit? Are they just there for the merchandise? You know, yeah. running around in the court gear, telling people that they're the exam officer. Like, if it's there to try and support the players in a way that they feel a little under pressure and stuff, like it, it needs to be. It, maybe if it was the, the sports psychologist in that situation, then and it's on a voluntary basis where you you can go to them and say that you feel really overwhelmed about and exams are a part of that, and you had someone to talk to to help you sort things out. But you can't be imposing 
and yeah. that sort of stuff on players and and like especially at that age you know it's not even like they're doing their they're 16 or they're doing their leaving cert or whatever i mean they're they're adults effectively doing higher education because they chose to do it so it's completely within their rights yeah, like I'm sure, you know, marriage breakups have put a huge stress onto players as well or relationships not going well. Would they put a relationship counsellor in onto the backroom team, you know, to make sure you're landing to this match in top, tip-top shape, we'll visit your house, we'll make sure your relationship is going. It, for me, it's a load of nonsense. I don't want to be too... I've never heard of this before, so I don't know if it, this is widespread. I get the whole we're ticking every box kind of thing. But like, I mean, where does that stop? Surely it's not an official title. Like, exam- <laughs> I, just, I made that like, up. But I know, exam- but like, surely it's not an official job. Like, you know, you're getting a lad in to <laughs> do this. Like, it has to be someone like, you know, like uh, as Lee said, it always comes back to psychology with Lee, but surely it's a, a psychologist or like, you know, like a team player. Do you know there's like a player rep or something? Yeah. Someone within the team who's nominated because if there's a lad who's doing this as a full-time job, like... Yeah, there couldn't, couldn't be. No, couldn't be. no, I don't think this is. And I don't, look, I'm not being too critical of John Myler either. I'm sure it was the best intentions that uh, that they're doing this. And maybe it's not as extreme um, as we're talking about. So we're talking last week about this is retirement season. Two hurling ones. Um, the Colum Spillane one's very disappointing, uh, Niall. Like, I mean, Colum Spillane's only 28. I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's bloody very, very good. Uh, tight marking cornerback which is a rarity in <coughs> in hurling he's big and strong um, like he'd be well able for the likes of Aaron Galan not many cornerbacks are physically and he's gone and it's not it's not through <coughs> wanting to be gone um, it's because of injury which is terribly unfortunate for him he's been he's been riddled with injuries he fought the whole way back I think to make the squad for the All-Ireland semi-final and final but obviously it's come against him he's going to take four or five months off now um, in the hope that he's going to be able to continue on playing with his club, Castle Lions. So, like, I mean, sad enough, really, because in 2017-18, kind of when Cork were um, winning those Munsters in a row and, you know, should have beaten Limerick that year as well, and wasn't it eight, in 18, he was brilliant. It, 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 yeah, he was brilliant, and it's mad that he has to go. He's only 28 years of age, like, and as you said there, he's taken four or five months out and it was kind of like, ho- like hopefully I will be able to play with my club. And like he said, he's going to do everything. He said he said he will play with his club, but that it's at that stage. And for such a young young man, like it's it goes to show just how cruel injuries can be for players. Like and uh, yeah, he was just he was a uh, he was a brilliant cornerback, a real tigerish cornerback. But he had the kind of the strength and the the presence about him as well to kind of back up that kind of aggression that he bring and. Yeah, he was like he. No matter who he was marking, like he had a bit of pace as well. And like when when Cork did win those monster titles in seventeen and eighteen, like his kind of his pace, his strength, everything he had as a cornerback was a key part of their game. And like there would be very few corner forwards who he wouldn't be able for just because he was such a rounded player himself. Yeah, he had all the attributes. So we talked to him on the show before. I think it was around the time Imo Killy. He played with Imo Killy. Um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Ca- I think it's Castle Lines. Castle Lions, is his club. Castle Lions um, is his club, but I think yeah, they're, yeah. they're definitely he he was playing with uh, playing with him, Achille. Uh Real nice fella. Another nice fella who's retired is Aidan Hart. We spoke to him at the start of this year. Um, he's retired. Um, I think he's had some injury issues as well, but he's probably at the stage now where he's kind of, you know moving on. He has a pub. Um, really, I I think Aidan Hart's an outstanding player in that, like I mean, he plays everywhere. For Gorty centre forward, I, for Galway, he was at his best as a number seven. He plays a number four. Um, you know, the year that he won the All Ireland, he w- he was brilliant in two thousand seventeen. He missed out on an All Star that year. He didn't get one, but total all round all all rounder player. 
um, I think he'll be he'll be a huge loss. He was he was a, he will be a huge loss and like he was a total all rounder because he in the la- in the latter years of his career I suppose was when he was at his best. Like um, I know he started off when he was brought in around two thousand eight two thousand nine. He was a he was a corner forward like and. I remember I used to go to a few of them Gala matches back in the day and he was a decent corner forward but he was kind of on and off the team and he was a starting one day maybe get a point or two sub the next day it was 2015 um, the year Galway got to the All-Ireland final against Kilkenny he was he was kind of moved out to midfield that year but he played wing back in the final and had, had a good game that day and he like he's ever since then he's been an absolute staple of that Galway yeah. team like he's He's just such a he's such a tidy kind of a hurler, and he was always mopping up. Yeah, and w- there was a bit of cutting in him as well, there and was. a hardy bit. Of, like for a fella who's converted corner forward, you wouldn't have expected it. He liked the rough and tumble of it. He seemed to love it. Like yeah, he had uh, he had that bit of cut about him, and I'd say any any player who was marking him, they knew all about it. Like because he while like he, he probably wasn't the biggest man, but he just had that kind of drive about him, and I suppose that bit of dr- drive that you want in every player on your team. Like and. Um, he, no, he's been so consistent for Galway. Ever, like from 2015 onwards, he's been just Mister Dependable there, wing back, and you you get what like you know what you're going to get from him every single day. And I suppose he had that great day um, t- two years ago when they beat Tipperary, and he got the brilliant goal to win the game. Like oh, Tipper yeah. up by a point at that stage, and I suppose he showed his, his forwards instinct that day. But um, and he was man of the match that day as well. But I suppose it was a, a nice way, like one of his. To have that as a memory, I suppose, to, to be the hero that day because um, he, he was a brilliant player for Galway and a brilliant player for Gort as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, last story here is John Costa. This is the time of the year, and I'm always take the piss kind of out of this, is when, when county secretaries, unknown all year, get national news. And usually their annual reports come out at this time. And it's a lot quieter than it is now. There's an awful lot going on now between the All-Stars, between the, the Provincial Club Championships. But usually these annual reports come out in December. Um, you know, it's the, the season's pretty much over. There's no GA news. And these annual reports make national news. So these are reports that, you know, within the county you couldn't really care less about. It's the, the county secretary's annual report. Like, it doesn't probably get much more boring than that, um, Lee. But traditionally, these annual reports have always made national news only, again, I repeat, because there was li- traditionally there was nothing going on when they came out. And you'll get a headline or two out of them. I don't know how they're they're still making. I see headlines about leash are in surplus or you know or whatever like this or Offaly or the county secretary. <laughs> but John Costello is one that always kind of make reports because he's the CEO and obviously Dublin are the big uh, country. Whatever it is about John Costello, every year he finds something else to whinge about and complain about and play Dublin poor old me violin kind of thing. And this is like, like imagine imagine your county winning in all Ireland. Imagine the tone of your of your of your county secretary's report would be overwhelmingly positive. Not only did Dublin win in All Ireland, they won uh, five in a row and they won seven in eight seven in eight years. Uh, was it seven seven? Oh, they won five in a row and they they won five six in a row. Sorry, row, yeah. and seven in eight seven in eight years. She's I finally got it right. And this lad, all he does is whinge half the time in his annual report and say, oh, there's a media bias against us and we don't get credit and all this kind of stuff. So this year I was expecting a whinge because they're not all Ireland champions and he didn't disappoint me. Um, he's, com- he's complaining about um, John Connellan, who has obviously a motion coming to Congress to equalise the game's development uh, money. 
Um, you know, he has a cut off him because John he he disputes one figure John Conlon uh, gave to say how much profit they made in a year. He said we didn't make that much profit. We made a lot of profit, but not as much as that. So he was given out about John Conlon. He's kind of playing down the role of the GPO. Um, officers, he's trying to say the games promotion, the games promotion officers are not some crack team akin to the Eastern Bloc coaches who did who hothouse young players and turned them all in, into all other winners. Like you know, completely trying to distract away from if they, he doesn't think games development officers aren't as aren't which he's trying to make out aren't as important as he says they are. Why doesn't he give them all back and put them into other counties if they're not? really important they are important he goes on to to actually describe the role of them the the role of games promotion officer is to work intensively with local schools and clubs by providing cultural and skill development initiatives appropriate to the age and ability of uh, various playing groups it also it is also to provide a program of courses and workshops appropriate to the requirements of students and club volunteers to assist them to fulfil their various coaching functions with juvenile teams and then he goes on to say they're not some crackpot. Like, uh, nobody's saying they're crackpot. People are saying games development officers are exactly like you described them. And think of what an advantage that those games development officers are within schools and within clubs. Like, I mean, it go, there's, it's completely illogical to try and defend, uh, or try and, you know, d- diminish the role of games development officers by describing exactly what they do because they are a huge advantage, Lee. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, I mean, you feel like in these uh, these annual conventions, they're just told to go out and try to make us sound like the plucky underdogs. And then obviously, John has the hardest task when you've got a team with double, Dublin and all of the capital that they have to try and make them seem like, you know, that they're hard done by in any shape or form is, is nearly an impossible task. But he's given it a real go here just by listing job descriptions, basically, and saying that it's not a big deal for some reason. Um, none of that makes any sense to me. Like uh, the games development officers, they're they're absolutely huge because it's, it's like what he said. Like even the fact that they're teaching coaches how to coach right, right down, you know, from grassroots all the way through, so that this uh, the biggest you know county that you have uh, are all on the same wavelength in terms of their development, in terms of Gaelic football and learning all in the same on par with each other. And then you know, uh, it's not just isolated where some areas are getting it more than others and things. Like I mean, they're using the money. They've got a lot of money and they're using it well. I don't know why he has to come out and pretend like. Oh yeah, we have that, but it's not as it's not as big a deal as you think it is. You know, it's over exaggerated. I mean, it's not over exaggerated. Just be thankful that you're in a position that you can have it, and stop trying to like. If, if anything, you're putting the the spotlight on it more, of, and what an advantage you have by trying to claim that it's not an advantage at all. Yeah, no, that's it. He goes on about saying that again, Croke Park. Uh, the advantage of Croke Park comes into it. He says, well, we we can't <laughs> afford our own. Uh, stadium that land in Dublin at that size is 50 million or whatever and he starts kind of playing the poor Dublin thing again look oh you know that's the way it is he says we rent Croke Park again um, and then it starts talking about media bias in that their Covid breach was uh, you know they got more media coverage because of their Covid breach than other counties um, that's probably true but Dublin are the six in a row All-Ireland champions at that time so they're not anywhere near like Monaghan who got caught you can't compare one with the other. One is news in Dublin, which is the capital city, which is going to sell a million newspapers. And Monaghan, you can, is it not, you know, it's not mm. the same national news. So there is going to be more media scrutiny against Dublin. But the payoff for that is Dublin have much more sponsorship money. Their players are much better looked after, you know, and they have a much higher profile nationally because of how good they are. 
the trade off with that is if something goes wrong with Dublin it is going to make more national news and like it's like the Dear McConnelly thing if that ha- all wouldn't happen to a Carlo player of course it wouldn't hmm. it wouldn't happen to a Leash player of course it wouldn't you know because it's Dear McConnelly and he's a dub and you're the best team in the country and you're the most ho- high profile and he whinges about this you know like I mean what, what's wrong with this man will he just accept what, what a time to be alive as a dub and all this lad is does is complain and whinge yeah in fairness to him like the I don't want to hear a fairness to <laughs> Can you not see where I'm going Jeez, with this? I might turn out here and give back to you. No, but the, there was a huge amount. There was nearly, I thought, a bit too much made of that COVID thing. Like it was, it was, nearly, was it sure. was front page of the, like not just the sports page, it was front page of the papers in general. Yeah, no, I agree on that. They and, were hiding in the ditch taking the videos of them. Yeah, like that was nearly one thing in the report that I would agree with them on, like, and well, like, uh, listen, we won't get into the, the whole COVID thing now, but um, the rest of it about the GPO, like, um, he's basically just describing why it is such a benefit and then giving out at the same side of his mouth, really. Like, so yeah. that doesn't make too much sense. But one thing I would say, he definitely has the most entertaining secretary's reports of all the secretary reports. No, he definitely does. He definitely does. It's It's like, I mean, there's a lot more in it. He's talking about four goals for... Four points. I'll ask Troy to you first quickly, because uh, this is a non-runner in, in Gaelic football. Four points for a goal. In Gaelic football, that will only make people drop back, protect your goal, give away the point. The whole thing in hurling is you can't really do that to the same extent in hurling. There's way too many points in hurling for me now. And I do take the point, and Anthony Daly has been talking about this Um He's got a real silly idea that the first goal is worth three and then every goal after that is worth four. Why do you have to confuse something like that? In hurling, I would be... Like, for example, in a, in, in the All-Ireland final, I think Cork scored the goal. Um, Kingston. Kingston got the goal. Brilliant goal into Hill 16. And before you know it, Limerick have two quick fire yeah. points gone and that goal's cancelled out. So for that reason, like, th- like when you're hitting 30 points in a, in a, in a game... Goals aren't what, worth what they used to be in hurling. I think there's a good argument in hurling for a four-point goal, four point goal. I don't, Gaelic football's not asking for this and doesn't need it. So go away with that. But in hurling, what do you think as a hurling uh, yeah, person? I think John Costello's the man. I think I'm agreeing <laughs> with him here <laughs> again. Like, because we're, oh, there's two things. We're agreeing with him on the four points for hurling. We're agreeing with him on the media coverage on COVID. Just not the poor me uh, against yeah. other counties type thing. So it was a decent secretary's report from him. <laughs> no, but like, as you said, like that, I definitely remember that Shane Kingston goal. And you're like, right, Cork are back in this game now. Because they were, they were losing. There were a few points down yeah. at that stage and he got the goal maybe back to two points. And you're thinking, game, game is on now. And Limerick got points from like the next two puckouts, and the goal is nearly gone straight away. And it was the same a, a long way like through the year like goals are just... It used to be goals win games. Now they're cancelled out within nearly five minutes. It was the same... The day um, Limerick came back and beat Tip, like Tip had three goals in the first half, and Limerick just kind of chased them down. They got a few goals themselves as well, but I think yeah, the four points it would it would be more of an incentive to kind of work the ball in, and maybe to add a bit more excitement to it. Like you wouldn't have lads. Well, maybe it, it's not going to stop lads taking shots for points the whole time, but I suppose when the goal is on, and that is what you do want to see, like because that is the sometimes a point goes over. It's a bit like. Do you know, if it's going over the whole time, the whole way through the game, it gets a bit um, repetitive. And you would like to see more goals in the game and that definitely would be a good way to encourage it. Yeah, no, definitely. We'll take a look at that. It's not like hur- it's not often hurling people agree about changing the game. Usually you're very protective about, about uh, your game. We'll see how things go in the new year. That Right, that's it. Um, 
for today. We'll be back on Monday. Monday's my third last show, so the countdown is on. <laughs> um, we'll review all the club action. So we'll talk to you all then. Good luck. But this little dink ball, the only one in the crowded area where it's a fist pass, the weight is taken over, hits the ground, and it bounces into a fella's chest. Why do you not do many interviews? Oh, really? Yeah, I've been asked to do a whole pile. Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? And they're roaring at me, I coffee, you free state bastard. <laughs> and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> <laughs>